0: It is Friday the 22nd of February 2019. My name is Jeremy Medlin and welcome to episode 28 of the Stock Market Movers podcast. Just a quick reminder that nothing that I say today should be considered financial advice. And if you're looking for financial advice, I recommend that you speak to an authorised financial advisor. Things are really heating up in the market. Truckloads of companies provided updates during the week. And there really was a lot happening, and and by extension, I imagine there was probably a a lot happening in your stock portfolios as well during the week. And I've found from looking at historical podcast data, that is the people that listen to the podcast, that whenever I talk about A2Milk, the podcast gets significantly more listens. For this reason, I'll give the people what they want in this episode and talk in detail about A2Milk, probably more detail than what I've gone gone into in the past. And then at the end of the episode, I'll talk about the other big news of the week related to the stock market, and that is the recommendations of the tax working group. So A2 Milk, A2 is obviously a company that no needs no introduction. It trades on the NZX under the ticker code ATM and on AS, ASX under the ticker code A2. That's the number two A2M. It is probably the the best performing stock in NZX history, or, or at least that I've ever seen. I mean, even even zero from the its, its IPO to its you know high in 2014 whenever it was I don't think has, has done as well as as A2 milk so if you're listening because of this performance you, you probably have a, a pretty good idea about what A2 does and during the week they released the interim results for the half year ended 31st of December 2018. What I will say is that what I've been saying about a two in the last few podcasts is that I think their real strength is in their business model, and key key to it is how they've built their brand. I love companies with great brands. as a as a great brand is is a real competitive advantage. Just think about Coke, for example. You try to start up a cola brand and compete with Coke, you you, you it's virtually impossible because of of Coca Cola's strength and its branding. So once you've have a great brand it can endure for a long time think about how strong disney's brand is and that that's a sort of a classic example now that a2 is a valuable brand as a shareholder you do not want to see anything that can dilute or chip away at the at that brand and there are numerous things that that could that they could do that would do that. One simple example is that they could diversify. And I imagine at some point they will diversify and there's nothing wrong with that. But they could diversify into inferior products and use the strength of the brand to sell it. Obviously, if you do that with inferior products over time, will chip away at the, at the quality of the brand. So the key to their business model is that they have a great brand and then the next thing is they're able to outsource all the hard stuff. Milk production is a difficult and capital intensive business and it wouldn't be a business that I'd necessarily want to get into. Sorry to all the farmers out there, but you know you just need to pay attention to the news and at any time of year in New Zealand you, you have farmers on the news talking about how difficult they're their, their job and role in society is and you no know, without a doubt it absolutely is I'm not, I'm not playing it down and and that that just sort of describes the, the business and how difficult it can be but if you look at a a2's capital expenditure it's it's virtually nothing so they just produce cash and coca-cola has a similar business model they do the easy part and then let the bottling companies take care of the difficult parts and i think the key to a2 this is the key to a2's stock price over the last five years is that they've aced their business model. And that has allowed them to spew off more and more free cash each year. And for those that are interested, my definition of free cash is that is is cash that you have after you've paid everything. And that is cash that you have got there to allocate in the best possible way of shareholders. So cash that's sitting there after everything else that you have to allocate to try to improve the returns to shareholders. So essentially cash before dividends, cash before buybacks, cash before investments, and cash before paying back debt. So it actually might be an acronym there that you could come up with. There's always lots of stock market acronyms. So if you buy companies at a reasonable price relative to how much cash they'll produce in the future, then you'll be successful as, as, as an investor, and it's, it's that suitable. I'll, I'll come back to this in relation to A2 later in the podcast but let's go through the results firstly. So, total revenue came in at 613.1 million. This was an increase of 41% on the prior reporting period and these numbers are are quite staggering, really. When you consider that in two thousand and fourteen, total revenue was one hundred and ten million for the whole year. So to have six hundred and thirteen million in a single half is is quite unreal. And these these aren't small numbers now, and and growing at forty one percent is is significant. So they then say that they have EBITDA was two hundred and eighteen point four million, up fifty two point seven percent, but. As always, I skip right past you, But uh, net profit after tax was $152 million, up 52.9% from the prior reporting period. Again, compare this to 2014, and, and the company was just breaking even then, then. So it's it's extremely profitable now. So I'm reading these numbers from the front page of the market release. I'll dive in a bit more detail into the actual financial statements later. But that operating cash flow of $112 million, Point three million. They, they didn't put a comparison to last year in the headline number, but and I imagine that this is because it was actually less than the prior year, which was 600, was, sorry, was 100, 116 million. And the reason I don't think they wanted to draw attention to that in their results, but they did say in the discussion the results that the cash conversion was impacted by the timing of tax and supply payments and increased debtors and infant. Formula inventory. So, I think what they're essentially saying there is that cash will, will come in, in the second half, um, I'm assuming, anyway. So, I'm not going to get too bogged down on that, so moving on. Group infant formula revenue was just under $500 million, up 45.3%. Impressively, China label growth was up at, was up over 80%. Again, this is a staggering number, and I, I could be wrong, but it suggests to me that they have room to grow this further. You don't typically grow at 80% if you're running out of areas to grow. And they've said that their market share in this area is 5.7% of Chinese consumption. And they they may have said it somewhere, but it'd be interesting to know more about this market share. The two questions I would ask are, is, is the overall consumption of the market as a whole increasing? Uh, so essentially, are, are they getting more out of a growing market? Or is the consumption stagnant and they're just taking market share from elsewhere? So essentially from their competitors. And it, it's an important difference if you're taking from elsewhere then i imagine competition is, is more likely to heat up you know companies traditionally don't like other companies going and taking a share of their pie so us milk revenue grew 114.1% and distribution to over to over 10,000 stores again you do not normally grow 114% if you've exhausted all of your growth opportunities so expect more growth there australian fresh milk Revenue growth of 11.7% and a market share of 10.8%. Now, I, I know Australia and China are, are two completely different markets and they'll probably get discredited by comparing them, but see how much slower growth is at a 10% market share compared to growth at a 5% market share in China. So I wonder if the the growing percentages, the growth percentages in China will, will eventually mimic Australia. Or maybe, as I said before, overall consumption is increasing in China, whereas it may not be in Australia, which I guess is a more established market. So that will be one to look into if you're looking to buy the stock. And the final highlight from the front page is the continued increase and strengthening of the brand. And I think in the company literature, they've made all the noises that you want to hear relative to the future. So I'll just read from the report here. The company is accelerating its investment in building brand equity through enhanced marketing campaigns in its key markets of china u s and Australia alongside continued investments in r and d and further development of its intellectual property. That really should make you happy as a as a shareholder. That's what you want to read. So moving on to their balance sheet. it appears to be rock solid. Um, they have nearly three hundred million in the bank and they're carrying a nearly $280 million position in Simile Milk. So when valuing a company, I normally treat stock positions as cash, and they have hardly any property, plant, and equipment, hence the low capital expenditures, and they have manageable amounts of inventory. It's all good stuff. Then on the liability side, there is no debt. It, it's, such, it's, it's a great balance sheet. Really, It, it really is. As a shareholder, I, I think... I do not think you want to see the the cash levels build up too much if if they can't find anything intelligent to do with the money. That is something that will help them generate more in the cash in future, like an investment and something like that, or or establishing their brand or, or whatever it might be. They should they should either buy back shares or, or pay dividends, one of the two. And as as shareholders, you don't want to see unnecessary amounts of cash build up on the balance sheet. And I I do like to see it to a certain extent because it means they're going to be financially solvent. But it it might as well be back in back in your hands, you know. And while we're on that, one thing that I'd like to see now that A2 produced all this cash is I'd like to see an end of shareholder dilution. I, I don't think dilution is, is necessary now. They produce so much cash that I don't think they should need capital from shareholders again unless they're in, in the largest of acquisitions you know, if they had to do a really big acquisition. And I'll put some numbers to this. If you owned 59 million shares of A2 back in 2013, you would have, you would have owned around about 10% of the company. Now, if you still owned those 59 million shares today, then you would own less than eight percent of the company. And that's because they've they've issued more shares during that time. Now obviously your eight percent now has significantly more earning power and therefore value than your ten percent did in 2013. As an example, A2's equity on their balance sheet was just over fifty million in twenty thirteen at six hundred and forty million today. So but but going forward I I do not see any any reason for dilution i think shareholders should have the expectation that this only happens in a small way through employee and director options okay so let's get to valuation on the afr the other day that's the australian financial review they started an article about a2 that said the following is the list of companies that have smaller market value than a2 milk after it hit a record high on wednesday crown resorts Medibank private, Medibank is I think the largest health insurer in Australia, Lease, which you would have heard of, Caltex, AMP, you know I know AMP's had its trouble but you wouldn't have, if you'd said to me five years ago A2Milk would have, would have a a bigger market cap than AMP in five years time, I I I would say to you I'd pretty much say you don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> but that, I would have been wrong. Um, Coca-Cola, Amatil and Seek. It's twice as big as Flight Centre and Harvey Norman. And, you know, if you're New Zealanders, you know how big Flight Centre and Harvey Norman is. So it, it's a big company. At, at a market cap of $10.8 billion, they are the largest company on the NZX now, that, again. And it's staggering, really, when you think about it. But before we get to valuation, the company obviously carries some risks. One, one, one I can think of is related to trends. A2 has done really well in in exploiting the trend and consumer preference in China, especially. Personally, I have no expertise in, in predicting consumer trends in China. I mean, if the winds start to blow in the other direction over there, then it will be difficult on the ground for a New Zealand investor to pick up on it. So say if the trend were to move to some sort of other type of product that, that A two doesn't produce, and everyone starts drinking that or consuming that in replacement of A two milks products. Then that might be difficult to to pick up at the early stages of in if you're based in New Zealand, and it'll probably be too late by the time you realise it. And the second risk relates to the Chinese government. I mean, they have bullied around much bigger and much more serious companies in the past. Think of Amazon and Google, isn't it? As, as examples, and I think the risk for regulation of being pushed out of China is a difficult one to quantify, but it it certainly is one that exists. Okay, so back to valuation. The stock is a ten point eight billion market cap. First thing I do is remove the cash in the stock, so essentially remove the three hundred million of cash in the round about three hundred million dollar position they have in Sinlay. So that takes it to about ten point two billion. There is no debt to add back, so we'll skip that. And just to make the numbers easy, let's call it. 10 billion let's assume also that in this financial year they make 300 million in in cash that might be a bit conservative but let's just say 300 million because the numbers are easy so 300 million and a market cap of 10 billion that's a a capitalization rate of three percent or another way to look at it is 33 times free cash flow so which is less than what you get from a term deposit in new zealand at the moment i think i saw one six months 3.4 percent the other day so that is the first thing that you'd have to that you have to think about is that at this price, there's obviously the the market is expecting A two to grow its free cash flow in the future. I mean, otherwise, if you didn't think it was going to grow, why would you own it? Um, you you would be better off sticking the money in the bank and achieving that three percent at a at a safer result. So I think it's fair to assume that A two milk will grow, and the question therefore is by how much and for how long. And that, that are difficult questions to answer. And I think that that is what you need to think about as an investor is how how much can they grow and for how long can they grow and would would you want to own A2 milk now if they've grown that cash flow to 500 million in 5 years maybe you would i'm 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 not sure and it, it's a diff, it's you know it's a difficult calculation to predict what they'd make between now and the next 5 years but you obviously would want you, you would obviously Definitely buy them now if, if they were going to produce ten billion in the next five years or, or in the fifth year or whatever, and and that would make the stock r- look really cheap now. And this is why valuation is tough because obviously ten billion of of free cash flow in five years is unrealistic. But it's it's easy to produce the calculation for 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 how to value the company, but it's it's quite easy to to quite difficult I should say to produce the. The cash flows, but this is a way you have to think about it. How much cash will the company produce in a in a time period, and how much am I prepared to pay it for now? And I hate to disappoint you, but I, I don't know how much A two will produce. And if but if you knew the company well, however, and understood the dynamics of the market, I think this is a calculation that you could make, and and you should be able to get a reasonable understanding of. And unless there is a major event that derails your business model I, I certainly think over the long term you'll outperform the bank by by paying by buying now and I I think they are they are really priced for growth and and quite a lot of it. One one concern I do have, and I've I've said this in the past for A two is the expectations of the shareholders. The performance of the stock has been so spectacular that I worry that people that buy it today have the subconscious expectation that we'll achieve similar results in the future that has been achieved in the past. And if if enough people think this, it might even be true for a while because you sort of it. it, it it creates more buying which increases the stock price. But it'd be virtually impossible for it to 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 con- for the returns of the last five years to be replicated. And I'll tell you why. I, I know that people purchase A two not all that long ago for fifty cents a share or less and it's literally made them rich. So let's just say fifty cents for argument's sake and, and let's say A two is fourteen dollars today. That's a twenty eight bagger which in five years, which doesn't come around every day. So if the stock went up 28 times again, then the market cap for A2 milk 28 times from here would be 293 billion New Zealand dollars which would be about three times larger than the current market capitalization of every listed company in New Zealand. And this would make A2 about $20 billion larger than Coca-Cola. So you could buy all the Coca-Cola shares and have $20 billion to of, of walking around money and about three and a half times larger than, than Kraft Heinz. Well, while, while I have said in the past that anything is possible in the stock market, I would call this virtually impossible, in, in fundamental terms, it's why it's the law of large numbers effect. It's a lot easier to go from being a $100 million company to a billion dollar company than it is from being a billion dollar company to a $10 billion company. Now, A2 Milk has, has done both. 99.99% of companies do not. And I think it will be a different story to go from $10 billion, roundabout where they are now, to $100 billion. So there's nothing wrong with buying A2s today. I would just recommend going in with realistic expectations on future returns. And the next five years, just, just due to the law of large numbers, can't be as good as the previous five years. Doesn't mean they can't be good, but they're not going to be good as the, as the previous five years. So that's the word of warning I will leave you on A2 Milk. And now moving into the second half of the episode, we'll we'll discuss the other big news of the week, which was the tax working group and 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 the releases that came out there. So, during the week, the the tax working group came out with their recommendations on the future of tax in New Zealand. It came with some intense media coverage and plenty of debate. Debate, sorry, that seemed not to centre so much on policy, but where you sat in the political spectrum. So it turned into a bit of a political turf war. And I won't get political here. there's no point as half of you agree with me and half of you won't. So it won't really serve any purpose. But what I would say is that the media coverage seemed to be pretty sensational and, and whatever side of it you sit on, the media coverage no doubt influenced you. You probably could find something on whatever side that that met up with your beliefs. But you can go to tax working group dot g-o-v-t dot n-z and read the recommendations for yourself at least then you can develop your own opinion not a not an opinion that's based on what you read in the media and and what they're trying to do to get you to click on their articles so since this is a stock investing show we will only look at things from the stock market side of things so ignore all the property ignore all the KiwiSaver. The only thing I'll say is I sort of feel like the stock market is collateral damage in the whole thing. I get the feeling that they really wanted just to figure out a way of taxing property and, and maybe KiwiSaver and the stock market just got caught in the crossfire, although I, I, I could be wrong. So on, on the, the second report there on on, the, on page five, they've, they've listed what, what should be taxed and shares have been included in in the assets where capital gains should be extended to. And I'll read from the report All capital gains from the sales of from all capital gains from the sale of shares in New Zealand and foreign companies should be taxed. That's pretty clear. They then give an example of James that has a portfolio of shares in New Zealand and Australian companies that he holds as a long-term investment. Any capital gains arising from the sale of shares will be taxable income for James. I guess that's pretty simple. One good thing about this report is they've written in in, in English that we can all understand. So the report provides three options for taxing stock investments. They could be taxed on a realisation basis, basically when you sell. They could be taxed under the... Under the fifth rules, that's essentially a, an, a, a, an unrealised basis, which would be, I guess, done each year, or a combination of both. The report recommends taxing on a realisation basis, which, in my view, would be the cleanest and easiest way for most people to do it. The paper also goes into great detail about how this will affect imputation credits, which I won't go into here, but there is a bit of explaining to do there, so it'd be worth reading if you want to understand. And I'm not going to go into my view on these taxes. As I said, half of you agree and half of you won't. But what I would say is is that they're going to, it's going to be a heavily disputed document. And if I were to make a prediction, it it would be that whatever version, if, if any, if they can even implement it, if it's ever implemented, then I imagine it would be a heavily watered down version of what it is now. That's just how these sort of things seem to work. There's so many interests at play that, once it once every interest has tried to get what I want, what they want, it's normally a watered down document. So, if implemented, and the media doesn't focus on that, they focus on the sensational side of things. So, if implemented, I imagine it will affect the structure of the market in some ways. Just just as an example, if you were sitting on an unrealised loss. And it was getting close to tax time, you might be incentivized to take that loss and claim it back on your tax. And it makes me wonders, wonder if there'll be rules around opening and closing positions. If there if there weren't, if there wasn't, then you could close a position just before tax time and buy it again the next month. So it'd be interesting to see how it plays out. Anyway, I suspect this will lead to potentially increasing selling in certain companies at certain times of the year, which might provide opportunities in the stock market actually. On the other side of things you will be incentivized to hold on to your winning positions and not realize them in fear of a capital gains tax. So it might actually lead to, in some stocks, and for some investors anyway, more long-term holdings. So let's see how this pans out. My, my advice is not to get caught up too much in the media hype and either the direction i'd recommend going to the website and reading it for yourself and making your own judgment it's around 9am on friday as i'm doing this now and it'll be interesting to see how the stock market opens up today and to see if there's any market implications from the report yesterday but we'll see so that's about all i have time for today many thanks again for listening to the podcast i hope that you enjoyed the discussion of a2 as i said earlier it's always a popular episode and like i said a second ago try to stay away from the the hype around the the capital gains tax and focus on the facts as as a reminder again that nothing that i say today should be considered financial advice if you're looking to find out more about the podcast go to www.stockmarketmovers.co.nz or find us and give it a like by searching on facebook make sure also that you share with your friends if you, if you want to email me, it is jeremy at stockmarketmovers.co.nz. .co.nz. Once again, my name is Jeremy Medlin, and this has been episode 28 of the Stock Market Movers podcast for Friday the 22nd of December 2019. I'll see you all again next week.